0: Good and bad words. So much of my work, which a long time ago was centered in children, now today is centered in adult populations, repetitively brings me back with my clients to a place of being stuck, stuck in some bind or some version of a certainty. Not because it really is a certainty, but because some absolute view in the client's eye exists. It's a bind that all people, and that would be all of us, can relate to, I suspect, being human anyway, where an action is just position to an opposing action, and regardless of which action is chosen, there's some seemingly bad outcome that will emerge. This damned-if-you-do and damned-if-you-don't position creates stress, angst, exaggerated emotional responses, sadness, nervousness, and at times it can be the source of mental health conditions and a culprit to explain escapist behavior—that is, the use of something in the environment to anesthetize the discomfort created by the bind. A bind can look a lot like wanting to be in a good place for some action, where some plotty will take this action to be judged as bad, and then at the same time wanting to do some other good action, and knowing that others will take the action as bad. Here no matter what action is taken, the perception of bad will occur, and if this bad perception is going to be conveyed by loved ones, the bind is even stronger to a person's psyche. Most people can tolerate some negative judgment of others. However, when the judgment of being bad, if you will, is from loved ones, or maybe from self to self, the tolerance of harshness is what harms. It's here that many will go about the business of attempting, then, to change others' judgments using the various positions of swaying truths to bring over a person to a better understanding and converting them from quote-unquote bad to quote-unquote good. With some luck, this works. People are converted to a better truth or a better version of good. With some luck, that's how it happens. Mostly, however, converting other people to your way of thinking about good or bad doesn't work. Why? Once you've determined something good or bad, you've reached a degree of finality in your judgment. But again, I'm looking at the occurrence of emotional chaos that occurs in a bind rooted in cause, called good or bad. A lot of times, moving along from this place of good or bad is shifting a view to what works. And again, notice that I've moved from good or bad to a paradigm other than that, and it's one that calls what works. If some of this jargon is, I don't know, confusing or hard to follow, I get it. Part of that is because being in double binds is so common in the culture that you and I are soaked in it. It's almost normal, or even worse, can be seen as healthy to be damned if you do and damned if you don't. To be clear, double binds are normal, but mathematically, a norm is 51 of 100. And 51 of 100 may indeed be statistically normal, but I would say that normal is not the same thing as healthy. Double binds create exaggerated emotional responses. Small, medium, or large doesn't change that it's exaggerated. Other words that may help appreciate the binding concept about which I speak, besides you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, are things like, you can't see the forest for the trees. And in a moment I have another cliche I'll use. You see, in the removal of the double bind, being damned if you will and damned if you don't, can be shifted when the acceptance of good or bad is also removed. The acceptance of good or bad as a truth, being removed is the way to clear the double bind. Good and bad removed? Absolutely. And before I go further, let me say that I am aware that the lexicon is not likely going to erase words such as good or bad. Word erasing is great on a chalkboard, a dry erase board, those digital remarkable boards, and maybe even on a word document. But not in the lexicon, I get it. If these words were erased, this good and bad, right and wrong, all and nothing ways of being, well, for me, I might just have to find a new job. That'd be good for your pocketbook, but not mine. You see, having a therapist on speed dial over words as binding, and stress-creating as good and bad, well, that's just too simple. Words fade, but usually it is that they are replaced by a more contemporary version of themselves. It's really not that they disappear. Looking at good and bad would do well to just erase it, though, in nearly 98 to 99% of its uses in our human interactions, particularly in America. I'm not suggesting that good and bad have no place in our ways of being. I'd say, however, that the one place good and bad really belong are in areas that lack safety. Lacking safety could be seen as good and bad. Now, I'm not saying a safety perception is the equivalent to justify a perpetuation of a bind. See, perception has been said to be reality. And as I've said in other podcasts, that's untrue. The perception of a delusion, the perception of a culture, the perception of history, the perception of created and dynamics between and among subcultures, these are all justified. I mean, in summary, it goes like this. Just ask me, I'm right. The justified perception of good and bad does not make the perception a reality. And perception may not be reality at all, even if that's the other cliché. The point here is that while perceptions of good and bad can be explained, it could be that the perception of good and bad is what needs the shift, at least in regards to getting out of these psychological stressors called a double bind. At this point, I want to bring up an irony in this podcast as I talk of double binds and perceptions not being reality. Were good and or justified as right? The Entire concept of double binds emerged, according to a quick Bing study, a, a, a quick Bing search, anyway. In the nineteen fifties, used by anthropologists in studying schizophrenia. Isn't that something? Here we are in a podcast looking at the psychological stress of double binds, being damned if you will and damned if you won't, held up by constructs as harsh as good and bad, rooted in the notion that perception is reality, where the double bind concept itself emerged in a study of schizophrenia. Hmm. <laughs> Look, an argument can be made that telling people they are good or bad is helpful given that the judger, of course, knows all and hears all and understands all about those being judged as if the holder of what is deemed good and bad is somehow elevated to the position of being able to establish such rightness and wrongness in the judgment of others. How that can happen is a whole different podcast, but let me just say here that where we are about to embark is whether or not moral equivalence exists. summary in this regard is everything outside of safety. Everything outside of safety is negotiable. If there is a safety issue, then good and bad probably do exist there. If the perception of safety is invalid, the exaggerated response will be one that could be changed, and the double bind could be removed simply by removing the judgment of good and bad. I'm not talking about winning or losing an election. I'm not talking about whether or not it's okay to judge others. I'm not talking about which side does or does not have something right or wrong. I'm talking about chaos of a psychological level that is harmful and that's almost universally created by a culture that espouses to know what is right and what is wrong in the judgment of each other. Such that another cliche emerges, a person cannot win for losing. This is about a way of being such that stress is reduced, the fight-or-flight response is altered in the absence of unsafety, and the movement of a conversation can be done in regards for something other than the good and the bad and the human, and the person removing good and bad experiences a degree of sense and peace and calm. That has to be helpful. Are some human bad? Sure. This judgment of bad is entirely negotiable up to safety. It's not negotiable once safety enters the picture. But in actual safety, there's almost certainly something good or bad in the outcome. Someone's going to be harmed after all. Sure, they can escape, maybe. They can fight, maybe. But either way, the aggressive acts of escaping and the aggressive acts of fighting are harmful when life and liberty are threatened liberty in the sense of being restrained. I'm not talking about figurative restraint. I'm not talking about figurative safety. I'm talking about literal. Perception is not reality. Here, actual harm is good and bad when safety is at risk. That's it. If safety is not at risk, having a good or bad view is unhealthy because it is in the spider flight response that would be based upon something false. That exaggerated responses thrive. Unless you have untreated schizophrenia with various forms of disconnected reality states, and to be clear, this takes an appropriately trained and licensed professional to determine and diagnose, operating as you, you are unsafe when you're not is something you can change, and if you don't change it, it's going to create a false perception and an exaggerated response. The double bind is worth considering as changeable, rooted in knowing what to do with good and bad, so that when they're set aside, new words can be assigned to yourself and to others and the topics with which humans engage. When the bind is removed, deadlock, name-calling, condemnation of various kinds, exclusion, isolation, damnation of the many forms that it occurs, these will disappear and the view you hold will be freeing. Free to talk, free to be present without fear of imminent danger that would drive the exaggerated response. Free to engage in progressive conversations. Progressive is not a political term. It means to move forward. You see, when you put yourself or others in a bad position, that is, when you or they are in a one-down position because you or they are wrong, and ask anybody who's making the judgment they're right, it is from there that movement gets stuck, that down place. That, of course, would not likely be the intention in operating from a good or bad paradigm. The intention would be to get somewhere likely better than where you are, which does sound like progress. Ultimately, unless safety is the literal issue, disregarding a person's intentions or that of others, yours and theirs, doesn't make sense. By holding on to your and their wrongness due to an outcome while assuming the outcome is the intention, that indeed is an invalid judgment. It may be reliable, but it is invalid. Outcomes do not align with intentions. And since that's true for you, it's true for them. It is from this awareness. The idea that humans, outside of extremes anyway, have in common the good intention. There's that word. Such that putting it into a bad category makes the notion that only outcomes are helpful in measuring intention. Now, ask anybody about their intentions, and just like the other statement I made, just ask me I'm right. Nothing could be further from the truth that intentions and outcomes are the same. Intentions are honorable for what they are as they are held by the holder. You can doubt them if you want. You can call them a liar if you want. Usually the intention holder sees them as good. So there's the use of that word again. A good intention. A bad outcome cannot negate good intention. That's the point. If it does, you have a bind. That bind, saying that a good intention is contradicted by a bad outcome, wherein that cannot be true. There's no progressive answer such that the good and the bad pieces have to be discarded for something better. Now let's move forward in a non-exaggerated state of being by deleting good and bad, except when safety is literally the issue. Now on to a little bit of a story as I wrap up here. It's more enjoyable, digestible, if you will, and kind of cool. I think it is, anyway. Yesterday, I was in a place of dealing with a difficult conversation with a loved one, the kind that I knew was going to lead to a few tears, mine and theirs, maybe, while hoping and wanting to honor their essence, that their amazing heart and love for others is a real thing, and while hoping and wanting to honor and have them honor mine, too. As I was prepping for this arduous task, a bit dreading it, if you will, I got a notice on my phone. Bing! I had a $5 Venmo from my daughter. $5, you ask? Well, that's not good. What can you buy with that? Hey, did you notice how insidiously easy it was for that not good set of words to appear here? You see, here's the thing. My daughter's an adult with a good job, health care, a homeowner, she has a couple of pets and a pretty cool love life, I hear. And she took the time out of her busy day to do just this. Here it is in my little Venmo notice, quote unquote, treat yourself, $5. Whatever $5 will and will not buy cannot remove the gold in the message. And in all regards, I think that is way better than good or bad, and I think it is simply amazing. Before I wrap up here, I'd like to ask you to consider following my podcast on Radio Public. I'm delighted to be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Stitcher, and others. It's just that Radio Public has a way of creating a royalty system for its podcasters without going through an arduous bunch of steps and becoming famous. So I'm suggesting Radio Public in that regard for that reason. Either way, please pass along the podcast if you're enjoying it. And if not, stick around. Something will resonate at some point. And for today, that's my voice. I'll have more random thoughts from a therapist soon enough.